Hello and welcome to Agents of Nonprofit. My name is Alexander Lapa, and I'm here to speak with everyday superheroes helping nonprofits using technology. Joining me today is Deanna Mollett to talk about data archiving. Deanna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. I'm really excited to do this segment with you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So for people who are hearing you for the very first time, could you explain a bit about what you do and, and a bit about your background as well, please? Yes, absolutely. So I work with organizations to develop their best information governance practices. And information governance is really the umbrella of data retention, data archiving, data destruction. And there are a lot of action items to consider and to do in between all of those different phases. So I work with organizations to get organized around that and then implement the technologies and policies and practices that support that. Awesome. Super excited about this topic. And I'm curious to know a bit more about your backstory. Like, What is it that led you to start working with data and be this kind of advisor? So I started in this role by raising my hand and before that was working on a team to roll out an ERP system for an organization. So it was across a lot of different locations and states. Once that ERP system or enterprise resource planning system was up and running, then we started to look at uh, additional activities that need to be done in that system. And it just so happened that data archiving was something that needed to be done to solve a particular problem. So I cracked open a book, worked on that, and that's what I've been doing for the last 25 years. Awesome. So is there a difference in the words data archiving, data retention, are these synonyms? And if they are not synonyms, can you define each one? Certainly. So data archiving lands underneath data retention. So data retention is the time that data is created or brought in or, you know, the intake of that record and when it meets or surpasses when it expires. So it's the time from, we call it cradle to grave. So in that time period, data doesn't necessarily have to be in the main system, but it may still need to be retained and available for audit or legal purposes in compliant with the retention policy. So archiving is a way to move data from the main system to an archive until it expires and then you can destroy it. So it's part of that retention timeline. Okay. And let's say in the context of a nonprofit organization, why is this conversation important? Like what are some major considerations that an organization should undertake to uh, either decide a data archiving or data retention policy, and, and why is it important for them to do that in the first place? Sure. So data retention intersects risk and compliance. And what I mean by that is that many organizations, if they were really to, to look under the hood, would find that they are committing what's called data over-retention. So that data is in excess of what's needed. It's beyond its useful purpose. And there's risk with keeping data on board longer than essential, particularly when thinking about, you know, what would happen if there was a data breach and also having, you know, that data being not compliant with data privacy requirements where a customer has the right to know 
or a patient or a benefactor has the right to know um, what information is out there and, and that it's being managed properly and cycled out properly. Yeah, I've seen far too many organizations that hang on to data for 10, 20, sometimes longer than that, and especially when it comes to certain data migration projects that they are moving from one system to another, and they just want to bring in every single possible data that they have to the new system. In those kinds of situations, do you have a general guideline for how much data you should bring across versus this over-retention that, you know, there's some kind of threshold to say, this is no longer being useful to you, or if it is, then you can put it somewhere else in some kind of archive. In terms of data migrations, there's a lot of planning that goes into that, as you know. And as part of that planning, it's having a clear understanding of basically a heat map of the data that you have and what it's used for and where it stands in terms of retention management policies. So this is an opportunity to clean house as well. So to, to rationalize the data that does get migrated, it still has current or useful purpose. It still is within a retention policy and has to be available for that period of time. And anything that doesn't align under that is, you know, something to consider as far as archiving or even data destruction. So um, the other thing to consider is, and I do um, absolutely observe data hoarding, right, across organizations where, you know, what if we need to know this in 10 years or what if we need to know these trends? But, you know, information and processes and, and everything is ever evolving. So at some point in time, that data is no longer useful and really serves very little value. The Future thought is, is, is what is going to be our debt associated with having this data? Because that data, um, big data is a lovely idea and it, it's very useful. But the thing is, is that, um, what is the cost associated with retaining that? If an organization is migrating to a hosted cloud, you're basically paying for that space. You're paying for that. And so really only data that's useful, needed, current, makes sense to to maintain relative to the cost. And then there's also the intangibles as far as what if there is a data breach? What if there is a, a lawsuit? And having that data available, what does that mean? Very interesting metric that is used quite a bit in the ERP realm around the legal cost of data. So Forrester Research Group said that $1.7 million per terabyte is the average cost for legal case discovery. So thinking in terms of how much data that is retained and how much of that is not required anymore because it's surpassed its usefulness, what is the justification for keeping that data? Again, it's an intangible cost, but it's one that becomes very real in scenarios like that where where e-discovery is part of the situation. So when you talk about debt, there's the the cost of debt in this terms of paying for extra storage in the cloud, because obviously mm-hmm. you have to pay for every byte or gigabyte that you store in the cloud. And you said the legal costs as well, depending on if there's a lawsuit or whatnot. Are there any other types of debt that are not financial or different kinds of financial debt as well that someone needs should consider when talking about data retention? Not financial as much as productivity. So good data, clean data, 
produces better productivity. So if, if we're thinking about people who are working with data every day, and there's a lot of data out there that they don't really need to hone in on in an organization, whether that be a, a campaign for fundraising, um, you know, whatever the situation might be, ensuring that that data is clean and it's usable, that the data quality is good, improves productivity and you're not losing time, you know, so that that's definitely a, a another cost to consider is what is the impact to to our productivity by having uh, poor data quality or too much data. I agree. There's been so many situations where the the user of the system is just inundated by data, and there's just so much to muddle through. They they can't figure out what is useful anymore and what's not useful. So it's good to see that a good data archiving or data retention policy can help mitigate that. And Mm -hmm. to that point, I'm curious to know, let's say an organization realizes that they're struggling with their data, the amount of data, or in this example, you know, moving to a a new system and doing a data migration, and they know they need to build some kind of data retention policy. Do you have any specific guidelines that you make sure people think about when building that policy? Yes. In fact, as part of the work that, that we do, we are looking at the in-place or the existing records management policies relative to the system. So when we're doing an assessment on data archiving, data retention, that's one of the first first artifacts that we're looking at. And what I find is that records management policies on the whole are either coming from some kind of a template or um, it's outdated where it's not reviewed on a routine schedule. Um, so there's the, that oversight's not there or it, it's, it's very, there's a lot of gray area. So how to, you know, clear up those gray areas is to first ensure that there are clearly defined roles and responsibilities across the different resources and areas that are touching or working with that data. So roles and responsibilities for, you know, and I'll use the term business because regardless of organization, there are resources who are conducting the business of that organization. So that's why I refer to it as business. So the responsibilities for business resources legal, the the executives and, you know, who are the ombudsmen for that data, so on and so forth. So roles and responsibilities that are appropriate for that organization. Uh, secondly, are there clear requirements about, about reviews and retirement of data? Another gray area that I've seen is that uh, there are caveats in there, such as if it's mandatory, you, you know, whatever, whatever action is required, and sometimes I see, you know, based on business discretion, well, that creates actually a, a, an endless loop where, uh, you know, referring back to the data hoarding where you come, you engage in discussions around data archiving, the business wants to keep that data for perpetuity. And so that loophole in the policy that destruction is on business discretion, um, you can see where that goes. Right. So having very clear requirements in terms of review and retirement or destruction of data, providing a single version of the truth. Um, there are a lot of records 
that organizations are maintaining. And so having very clear-cut definitions for for the data that's being maintained and managed within those systems. And it's representative of the system. So often when I'm reviewing a records management policy, it reads like paper. Well, a lot of organizations don't have stacks and stacks of filing cabinets anymore. Everything is is in a system. So ensuring and having a reality check that the records management policy is well aligned to the information in its current form um, and, and having that updated. And then, of course, you know, compliance guidelines, legal hold guidelines. So what to do if there's a, a legal hold and that may actually be its own procedure. And then um, having clear record type classifications and the functional areas that own that. So is it the finance team versus the marketing team? You know, that type of thing. So having those ownership areas well aligned. And then finally, a, a schedule. So the schedule is very clear. This data has to be destroyed after seven years or, you know, whatever that timeline might be. The single source of truth is the one that struck out to me the most out of everything you mentioned, because I guess if you're having, I can imagine if you're having multiple archives, multiple different ways of backing up, and we'll get to the different versions later, if you're doing it right, hopefully there's at least a timestamp of some kind. So you know the order and the sequence of, of you know, what came first. But if you don't, or, if you, or those waters could be quickly muddled if you don't, any policies or best practices on making sure that we know or the organization knows which is the most recent version versus uh, the version before that and which one is a, the current version kind of thing? Is there any, is that, is that an issue that happens to organizations or is it just my imagination that this is, could be a, a potential problem that could cause a lot of confusion? Well, in, in terms of in terms of backups, uh, IT members responsible for the backups have their processes in place to to cycle out backups. So, for example, there may be a, a practice where a backup is maintained for a month, but there are backups that are taken periodically, and that may be every so many minutes. It could be every hour. It could be every day. Again, what's appropriate for how uh, data is generated and managed within an organization. So on the, the IT networking side of the house, you know, that's well managed and, and cataloged. But if we're looking at data in systems that, that the business and, and other roles in the organization are working with, every system is time stamping, uh, date and time stamping data. So that in itself, you can see from an age standpoint, you know, when a data was created. Then there's also other data that may change over time, right? So the data that gets changed, um, there's a time and date stamp for when it was last changed. There's some core data that we call master data. So that is, for example, a person's name and their address and their phone number and that, that may change over time. You don't create a new record for that person just because something about their profile changes. You just update that profile. So in that, that in itself is, is almost a single version of the truth. There's, there's other things we could get into in terms of organizations that have a lot of different products or offerings or, you know, services. And maybe those kind of records get duplicated. Then you start having the challenges around single version of the truth. But, you know, that's 
where data stewardship comes into play and having good practices for how data is entered and managed and updated. So I get all that, and I I, I caught onto the word IT team or, or data management team, and it, what would be your recommendations for a smaller organization, maybe one that doesn't have a full IT staff available to do this kind of stuff? Like, is there typically imagine a small organization, ten people or less, or twenty people or fewer? Is there any kind of like? Do you normally just recommend having one person becoming the data specialist, like the way the way that you became back in the day? Or is it something you recommend people outsource to say, like, if you if you are not able to handle this, better just to hire a consultant or a firm to help you with this um, data retention? Well, outsourcing is a great option for organizations, for small organizations, because um, the, the, those resources are experts in in what they do, whether that be networking, data warehousing, and and uh, you know providing reporting support and things of that nature. So taking that off the table, you know, by having managed services and outsourcing means that the talent within the organization can do what they do best while outsourcing can do what they do best. And that is maintain the data, keep it safe and secure, uh, keep it backed up, you know, keep it stored and available. Right, available for restoring, I imagine, right? In case there's a, some kind of failure in the primary system, they can... Let's then discuss the different kinds of archiving, because in this day and age, we have all kinds of options available to us, whether it's a you know a USB drive, a hard drive where it's local, or if you move the hard drive, let's say offsite, I mean, there's cloud-based storages. Any recommendations or considerations for each of those kinds of options? You know, What are some of the pros and cons, high level, of a USB drive, an on-site hard drive that's not maybe attached all the time, but plugged in to do the archiving, and off-site is number three, and then cloud-based is number four. And just to add a definition, when you say the word RAID, so we're talking about a redundant storage. Uh, usually it's like a, a system with two or more hard drives that if one of those physical hard drives fails, yeah, the system automatically switches to the other ones. So it's kind of a redundant system, and that's what a, a RAID is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with with where I start when working with organizations, and that is that we we do an inventory of the landscape. You know where data resides, what resources are are in place within the the system landscape, um, and that may be on premise or you know within that building, if you will, or it may be hosted. Um, starting there with with what is in place, right? And what can be leveraged and, and used to, to support the, the archiving processes. In terms of, uh, you know, what, what is better, it's, you know, start with what is available within the landscape. And then if there is a gap that needs to be considered, then look to, you know, what can serve the purpose at the, at the best cost and how well is it going to be maintained and secured. And how well will data be accessible from that location? So changing gears a little bit, um, what are some pitfalls that an organization should consider or try to avoid when talking about and, and building their data retention policy? Sure. So the pitfalls that can be easily avoided are, you know, looking ahead to you know, what are the worst things that could happen with, with this data. Starting with data breach and cybersecurity. So start with quote unquote stopping the bleeding because that's where, where it is. 
So ensuring that, that there are policies and practices in place for cybersecurity, data protection, um, that there is mandatory training on cybersecurity, that resources in the organization are aware of records retention and policy compliance, that they sign off to those policies periodically. Um, it, it protects the organization in terms of, you know, that it's done its due diligence and needful actions to ensure that data is protected. Also, you know, exploring the, the challenges around ensuring that, that, you know, data reviews are accurate and that the organization can prove defensible data destruction. So data, you have a data retention policy along with that policy has to have the practices to archive and then ultimately destroy that data. So being able to prove defensible data destruction is, is something that is, is an endpoint. Ensuring that the right tools are in place that can manage data retention and destruction. So it, it's all there, right? It's all there in a, in a system. And you were speaking about Salesforce and it's easy to archive some data, but restoring it's challenging. Are there any tools that need to be onboarded to, to help manage that data compliantly around retention destruction? And then also, you know, rather than thinking about acquiring tools and dedicating the time and the resources to evaluating and updating records management policies and practices, you know, in terms of, you know, don't think of it so much about an IT spend or, you know, a, a budget expense. Think about it in terms of supporting and, and reducing long-term IT debt. Because as we discussed earlier, there are costs associated with data over retention from the, the storing and cost of storing that data and keep maintaining a large system, perhaps having to migrate that data later. There's a lot of costs involved in that kind of a, a project or, or effort, but also, you know, the costs associated with e-discovery and having too much data and priority and, um, excuse me, productivity. So again, rather than thinking in terms of expense, it's more of an investment to ensure that your costs are uh, lower and better managed in the future. And then taking the perspective of an organization, because all of this is really great information, but I can understand maybe someone who is listening to this for the first time might get a bit overwhelmed with all of this information. So taking the perspective of the small guy, the small organization who knows that they need to do some kind of archiving, some kind of data retention, can you offer any kind of tips just to get the ball rolling? Like if, if you do, if they have nothing in place today, what's like the one or two things that they should do? to start moving in the right direction to build towards you know, a proper data retention policy? Start with assessing if there is a, a data retention policy. Start with understanding what is in the system. So what is the data that's being retained and worked with? And are there processes and policies in place to support that? And if the answer is yes or no, so if the answer is yes, then asking the question, is it up to date and current with what we're doing today? If the answer is no, then there needs to be some updates to that. So I would start first with, you know, the, the data owner. So, you know, who is the data owner, right? 
that's the role that's ultimately responsible for keeping data secure. Not necessarily the, the role that's responsible for working with the data, but the one where if there is any kind of risk or any kind of an issue, ultimately it lands on that desk. So start there and, and ensure that, that, you know, those roles and responsibilities are clearly defined and understood. The mindset has shifted from data owner to data custodian. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, is that instead of thinking about being a data owner, companies have to be data custodians and the custodian is a protector. So protecting the information and only using it with the best interest of mind of whoever is that data is regarding, whether that be a customer, a donor, a benefactor. And also, why is data custodianship so important? And that is because data is an asset. And assuring that information governance is compliant is, in effect, protecting an organization's assets. And by protecting those assets, it ensures that future reputation, a continuation of service and profitability are in the long term, in the end, in the long game. But also, you know, consumers, donors, benefactors, customers, they need to feel safe and that they can trust what happens with their information. And that's really everything in terms of an organization's reputation and the the desire to work with them and be associated with with that organization is you know that is a level of trust that has evolved over time because data has really become everything i think that's a really awesome takeaway because as we've learned from the likes of facebook that have data breaches and then they outsource data or they sell the data data is valuable your data is valuable so having if nothing else, you know, making sure that you have a good policy in place and, and enforcing that policy is because there is a dollar value associated to the data that you own and that have been given to you by your stakeholders. So that's that's an awesome point. I'm curious to know, uh, as we end the call, any kind of trends that you've noticed over the last few years going forward? Like, I don't know how much of an AI has influenced data policies, but I'm curious to know if you have you see any kind of trends happening in the present moment, and if you could, you know, I had a crystal ball looking forward in terms of what you know what you can see in 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 and around the data retention policy world. So it's a you know AI has been really the the topic du jour lately, and I just we we saw that yesterday in the EU that measures were put in place around uh, governing uh, AI. So it, it's it's on everybody's mind, and we're seeing it on pretty much every single newscast and, and program that we see. I've been seeing machine learning for some time, particularly in high volume processes, you know, such as sending out invoices and those kinds of high volume type of transactions. But the other trend that has been very active is is the march to the cloud and moving to hosted environments as a way of again allowing organizations to do what they do best while the IT hosting experts, you know, do what they do best and ensure cybersecurity and, and um, you know, data, data privacy. So, you know, with, with that said, that actually is very supportive of alleviating some of the issues and challenges that organizations may have around those topics. So is there a reluctance to the cloud? Absolutely, definitely do see that across organizations because it's more of a a mindset, more of a change management issue, more than 
than anything else. And, you know, change happens and change management can happen as well. Awesome. This has been great. Lots of valuable information. I'm curious if you can share uh, with people uh, listening your information so that if they want to reach out to you for further questions or get in touch with you, uh, they know how to do that. Yes. My email address is dmollett, D-M-O-L-L-E-T-T, at simplyilm.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Deanna M. Mollett. If anybody would like, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I have a list of self-assessment questions that organizations can get started with asking themselves. Awesome. We'll make sure to put those into the show notes below as well. Deanna, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Alex. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. All right. That's it for today. I'm Alexander Alapa, and I hope you join me again in the next Agents of Nonprofit.